people it looks like we made it and 2020 is officially coming to a close and lordy it was definitely one for the record books while so many people went completely bananas this year and some for good reason i'm thrilled that so many of you have shared with me how this show has become a little oasis of sanity for you in the desert of craziness as traditional media rightfully continues to implode, I'm happy to tell you guys that the Rubin Report is continuing to grow and trailblaze in this new digital landscape. We expanded our partnership with Blaze TV, launched my weekday direct message live streams, and reached more people than ever during this election cycle. And of course, we did a couple of tequila shots along the way. For the last week of 2020, I wanted to look back on some of my favorite moments from the sit-down interviews this year. We had a ton of incredible guests on the show from Senators Ted Cruz and Rand Paul to new media superstars Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens to all-star comedians Brian Callen and Nicole Arbor. I promise to continue having the conversations that matter as we roll into 2021, barring a full-blown zombie apocalypse, in which case I'll be hiding in a bunker and it might take a little time to get internet down there, but I think that goes without saying. So now enjoy this look back at some of my favorite moments on the Rubin Report from 2020. About a week later, and now, now I have, was off the grid already, yeah. I was uh, in the fruit section. I was buying a melon, actually. <laughs> I do enjoy a little watermelon in the, in the summer months. It gets hot here. And, uh, and there was a woman, like, like screaming in joy uh, about Kamala Harris. So I mm. suspect that it is Kamala Harris. I'm guessing it's Kamala Harris. The way you're nodding at me sort of... It is Kamala Harris. She is the worst. She is the worst. She is the worst. I mean, she is the worst. Do you think... She is the worst. Do you think One the more pick time? would have helped him or hurt him in the polls? Do I think that Kamala would help him or hurt him? Well, it can't really... Well, first off, the polls at this point, it's like... Who again, knows what the polls mean? It can't really help because the Democrats hated her. Nobody voted for her. Nobody likes right. her. And, and the, the crazy lefties that are running the show right now, the Antifa, Bernie yeah. coalition of Marxist lunatics, they all hate Kamala Harris because they think she's like a corporatist yeah. sellout. But she... Ugh, that's so gross. It's so her. gross. And it did, you know, Ugh, look. She's the worst. She's the worst kind of authoritarian. Yeah. You, you remember that moment at one of the debates when she was still in it, when the question was asked to uh, Biden mm -hmm. about would you use an executive action to ban assault weapons or do something on guns? Yeah. And Biden said, people can find this. Biden said, oh, well, it would have to be constitutional. And Kamala Harris looks at him laughing. <laughs> And she says, Joe, can't we just say, yes, we can? <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute. You think that you can use the power of the executive branch to supersede the power of the legislative branch on something that's enshrined and the in the Bill of Rights? Yeah, yeah. Like, she's the worst. So Ugh. it's funny you mention that, that witchy cackle because yeah. you'll remember, this is the big problem when Biden picks her. Uh, she launched the most vicious attack against Biden that has yet been launched this cycle. She she called him a vicious racist at those early debates and said he was a segregationist or whatever, right? Oh, right. You remember right, that? Right, right. The, busing the busing and all this yeah, yeah, ridiculous yeah. thing. So she goes on the Colbert show and Colbert, to his credit, pushes her. He says, uh, uh, Senator Harris, what happened to Joe Biden being a terrible racist? What'd she and say? She, she puts on the cackle. She goes, ha, 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 ha. It was a debate. And so he says, right, it was a debate, but are, but you know, are you saying you were lying then or it's not? He goes, 
ha ha ha, it was a debate, it was a debate, it's called a debate, it was a debate. She must have repeated the word and debate. And that's how evil these people are. That, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. The, the, it's all becoming too obvious to everybody. Yes. Yeah. The, the nonsense, she never believed he was a racist. No one in their right mind not. believes Joe Biden is a racist. Yeah. But then you throw it out there and, it, and, and for anyone that's on the fence about politics that's, that's watching this happen, it's like, when you see them do it against their own and it's a lie, does it make you wonder when they call everybody else? Maybe it's a lie too. Right. Let's just talk about the world as it is at the moment for just a little Do you bit. believe on this show? Oh, you can curse your brains out, but, but what do you mean? You're, you're a, you don't curse. I know, but you I can, do if, I, if you, you promise me you'll bleep it, then I'll curse. Oh, I, I, yes, my people will bleep it. Yeah, we're sort of <laughs> 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 I've been waiting for that for a long time, Shapiro, because I've heard you say fuck I, I, off. My guys don't have to bleep my fuck. They can bleep your fuck. Yeah, that's I've heard that's you right. say fuck privately, and then you you put your little. Well, as you know, as you know, there is a bit of a gap between yeah. public persona and in private. I curse a blue streak, because you know. Yeah. So that's that's not that's not a great shock, but yes. Okay, so yeah, let's let's just do it for a little bit. Uh, are we fucked? Like, what the <laughs> hell is going on here right now? Um, it feels that way. I mean, it really does feel as though any common bonds that we once shared are basically disintegrating, and that you're being pressured into mimicking the belief that all those bonds are gone. So even if you believe that the bonds aren't really frayed and that really we should have some stuff in common, if you say that out loud, mm -hmm. you're part of the system. You're part of the white supremacist system. Uh, and this is, it's such dangerous stuff. I mean, as we're sitting here very, in the last few hours, there was a, there was a, a sort of graphic that came out from the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which is a Smithsonian Institute, taxpayer-funded institution. Funded by the government. Funded by the government. Uh, and it was all about whiteness and the evils of whiteness. And among the evils of whiteness, things that we have all integrated into our lives because of the prevailing system of white supremacy, were things like hard work, individualism, justice, time management, delayed gratification, science. I'm not kidding. This is yeah. all in the document. These are all, these are all things that are listed as elements of white supremacy that must be rejected in order to move forward into a better, more progressive world. And so all the things that you would think like, yeah, I, I feel like we should all have this in common, like, you know, science. This one, this one we should have in, in common. There's a whole movement to say, no, 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 all of these things are outgrowths of an evil system. And that in turn is a, a, the result of an absolutely despicable redefinition of the term racism for what it used to mean in for virtually all of human history, but certainly since the 1960s, to what it means now. So in the 1960s, racism was what we all think of racism as, believing in the inferiority or superiority of a particular racial group. Right? Very easy definition. Easy you can enough. spot it. Yeah wherever you see it, right? I mean, it's not, not hard. It's a very easily applied definition. And then there's been an attempt in the last several years to redefine racism to mean any system that results in racial inequality is itself racist. And so if you are not seeking the destruction of that system, you are complicit in racism. And in order to be anti-racism, you have to seek to destroy that system. Well, every system in human history has resulted in inequality of some sort or another because human beings have different capacities, we make different choices. If you Wait, literally- Are you telling me we're not all exactly the same? We don't have all the exact same thoughts and gifts and skills? You're telling me- Stop being racist, stop it, stop it. So the, we're, we're slightly different. I Ibram Kendi specifically writes this, right? And how to be an anti-racist. He says, literally, any system that generates racial inequality is a racist system. And so therefore, it's not like you're a bad person because you're a racist, you're just a product of the system mm -hmm. or you're upholding the system. And in order for us to fight that racism, we have to fight the system itself. And so anything, that is part of that system. Anything and everything that is of that system is tainted by racism and must be ripped down completely. And if you are complicit in the system by, by doing things like hard work and individualism, you're an assimilationist, right? This is what, this yeah. is what Ibram Kendi says in How to Be an Anti-Racist, and Robin DiAngelo sort of mirrors this. And you're saying to yourself, wait a second, are you closing in an awful lot of doors to black Americans and minority Americans? Like the pathways to success 
in a free system are things like hard work, individual effort, you know, thinking ahead, delayed gratification. Like this is not unique to capitalism or the evil American system or anything. Right. But, but also, what are you saying about black people? Right. You're at saying that point? it's insane. I mean, David Duke <laughs> could write this shit. Right. I mean, he right. really could. I mean, David yeah. Duke could write the idea that whiteness is about hard work and individual initiative and religious adherence and family structure. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, that's crap David Duke would write. Yeah. But the anti-racists are writing the exact same crap and then they're saying, yeah, but all those things are bad, right? And if we just got rid of our adherence to these systems, well, then we wouldn't really have to have standards that we hold people to and then equality would be the result. I mean, that's insanely dangerous stuff, but because the charge of racism is the most, is the most highly charged charge you can make against somebody, it's the worst thing you can call somebody in America and for good reason, because that is an awful thing to be, right? I mean, it's an awful thing to say about somebody. It's an awful thing to be. Because that is such a highly loaded term, it's so easy to cudgel people into line. All you have to do is just acquiesce. All you have to do is be the person who cheers on the guillotines as the guillotines chop off heads, and we'll leave you alone. Now, we're not gonna say that you're left alone forever, right? That This only holds true until the time for the next guillotine. What was it like for you to sort of be someone that was supposed to be talking about the news, but also for a lot of the time you were you were kind of making news? I mean, everyone knows the what happened with Trump and, and the, the debate, um, but that you sort of got sucked into news too. And in, in the movie, there's a line where um, Nicole Kidman, as as you basically says that, you know. No, no, Charlize Theron. Oh, sorry, uh, Charlize Theron, where she says, um, you know, that she, you, basically saying, you know, you, you didn't want to be making the news. I, I assume that's pretty I much didn't want to be the how story. you feel. Yeah. Yeah, I said, I'm not going to be the story, and I don't want to be the story. and. And I was the story after that debate, and I hated it. And I have hated being the story every time it's happened. You know, I see the journalists as, as you know, on the sidelines, not as players on the field. And, um, you know, Trump, to some extent, grabbed me and put me on the field. And the Roger Ailes thing did, too. And then just, I don't know, once you get well-known, you know, the, the sleazy media takes a big interest in you and starts following you around. and. They're not all bad. Some guys are good. There was actually a sweet guy. Right after I left NBC, all these paparazzi were outside of my apartment. And, um, you know, I couldn't, like, leave without getting And uh, this one guy, he was from The Post. He got his shot. He's like, and then he goes, this is such bullshit, Megan. You can't say anything anymore. <laughs> so, like, there are real people out there. They're not all bad. But I don't like being the topic of the news. I, I have asked myself many times why that keeps happening, you know? And I think um, I think people aren't used to seeing like somebody they can't figure out, somebody who's sort of unapologetically strong, mm -hmm. um, especially especially a woman. We're out there, but like it's not that common, and um, a woman who doesn't mind fighting, right? Like it's like what what what's she doing? But you know that I'm pugilistic by nature, and I think it. It may be exciting, it may be upsetting, you know, it may be alienating, but for whatever reason, it's attracted news. Yeah, it's funny to me because as you're getting back into the fray, like it's so obvious there's gonna be a moment like within a couple months where something's gonna happen, like you're gonna say something or one of your guests is gonna say something and you're gonna be like, oh, why did I get back in? But then, but then an hour later, you'll be like, this is exactly why I got back in. Like that's just the I negotiation. I don't think that's going to happen to me. I mean, I do think they're going to come after me, you know, knives yeah. out, but I'm just so used to being attacked for everything I say. It's like, at this point, I'm like, all right, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? You're going to call me a mean name? What would that feel like? 
what would it feel like yeah. to see myself call something horrible in every newspaper <laughs> in the country? Oh, wait, yeah. I've done that. In a way, it's sort of empowering because it's like they, they took their best shot. I'm here. I'm well. I'm happy. I'm about to launch something that I'm really into. And for once, Dave, like they can't get rid of me. They can't get rid of me. You know, like even if every sponsor I have is like, we're out, then I'll do subscription. You know, the relationship will be between me and my audience and they can't stop it, whether they want to or not. They can't stop it. I will have my say. I will have these discussions with interesting, provocative people, people who go against the grain. And if the audience is there, I will remain on the air. You're speaking my language, sister. I, I may be able I know. to retire. I may be able to retire early now that you're getting back in. What do you mean? We're going to go off to the sunset together in the digital sunset. The, ah, the digital, the digital sunset. There you go. So, do you miss? I, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but do you miss sort of the sane blue dog, more centrist Democrat? Because I think. Biden was the last hope of that thing. That's what it strikes me as. And, and clearly he's not gonna be the savior, obviously for many reasons. But you know, Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot, that you want this healthy tension between the left and the right. And it's like, look, I, I know I'm new to the right, so maybe I don't see some of the problems that you guys have been around, so you see. But what I see is this pretty diverse group of the real Trump people, the more libertarian people, uh, that, are all, uh, that are all sort of trying to fight for what the future is. On the left, I just see purging. Do you miss the old school, you know, I know JFK is before your time, but do you miss an old school Democrat, Daniel Patrick Moynihan? Yes, uh, yeah, uh, look, JFK is a great example. Scoop Jackson on foreign policy who, who believed in standing up to communists. That, mm -hmm. that, 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 uh, you look at JFK, I, I often quote JFK. You, you, you read his speeches, for example, what he says, on, uh, on religious liberty. Mm -hmm. you, you read his speeches on cutting taxes, mm -hmm. where he campaigned in 1960 on, we're gonna cut your taxes, and we're gonna cut your taxes, that's gonna produce more jobs, more prosperity, that's going to benefit everyone. Those speeches, he would be driven <laughs> out of the Democratic Party like some crazy heretic today. Yeah. Um, you look at the tax cut we passed in 2017, you know how many Democrats voted for it in the House? Zero. zero. In the Senate, zero. There was nobody. I'll give you another example, one, one that the media refused to cover, but it's one that I'm, I got very passionate about. The Democrats introduced a constitutional amendment in the Senate to repeal the free speech protections mm -hmm. of the First Amendment. Now, this was following the Citizens United case, which mm -hmm. Citizens United has become this totem so Hillary Clinton pledged, every justice I appoint is going to repeal Citizens United. Joe Biden said the same thing. Um, do they know when they say that about what the Supreme Court nominees are going to do in the future that that's not really how government works? Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, every, but, everyone does this but across the board, right? For Democratic nominees, it largely does. Yeah. So I've got a book that's coming out uh, in October called One Vote Away, and it talks about how one vote on the Supreme Court uh, can can change history. Are, are you worried for for a limited government guy? You don't want the administrative state to be too big. It's like you can get in the weeds on all of this stuff, but in many ways, this is what you've spent your whole life fighting. That people that the whole system has just gotten so big and crazy at this point that even if you tell people what's true and we have all the facts in front of us, that sort of the ship has sailed on on reining in the things that I think you and I and most of my audience are worried about. Yes and no. 
Um, I think if you were to ask your audience, obviously it's probably a very limited government audience, but even if we were to ask a general audience. So for example, if I ask everybody in Kentucky about whether or not a secret court where you don't get a lawyer should investigate political campaigns, I would say that polls at 75%, particularly if you keep Trump out of it. Now, Trump's pretty popular in my state, so it doesn't hurt so much. But really, if you could get Trump out of it. But the problem is people get they won't vote on principle and ideas. So I didn't get any Democrat votes on this. I only got 11 Republicans, mm-hmm. but I got no Democrats, even though many of them profess to uh, think that FISA has too much power and shouldn't be investigating Americans. They wouldn't vote for it because they saw it as a vote rebuking FISA over Trump. And so they saw it as a political vote. But I guess I don't look at it this way. I lose a lot of times. I'm, 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 I'm used to losing and votes in the Senate. But I think most of this, and this is where we do have some ability. So we pass out a uh, sheet of uh, prominent tweets that went out from senators each, each week on Wednesday. And my office does this sheet. And they all complain because we'll put out something and my tweet will have gotten 30,000 retweets and they will put out Senator so-and-so and they got six. So <laughs> right. one of the things they see is that the liberty movement has reach well beyond them and they fear the electorate. These people are afraid of elections. They're afraid of me. They're afraid of conservatives because they're afraid someday someone's going to wake up and challenge them in the primary. And that's what has to happen. Um, the Democrats, it's sort of like this. Democrats don't care at all about the deficit, and they'll tell you. And they want to spend more money. They're honest about it. Republicans say they're against debt, say they're against spending, but they're also, most of them, big government Republicans, vote lockstep with the Democrats. So really, mm-hmm. when people ask me whose fault is it, Republican or Democrat, I say, yeah. You know, it's really both parties' fault. But, you know, we could give up and just try to protect ourselves. But, you know, I think... If we give up and, and the few good voices here go away, then really I think it, it goes much quicker towards socialism. It goes much quicker towards indebtedness and big government. So it has to be some voices. There needs to be more. I was strongly considering leaving. Like I was looking at real estate. I had a whole bunch of people begging me to come to Dallas. I would have had a pretty yeah. sweet operation over there. Yeah. My feeling right now is I want to stay and fight here. I love I, that. I love SoCal. I love, you know, I love the weather, of course, and all that. But, like, I built a good life here. We've got friends. I like it here. It's a freaking mess. Yeah. Absolute mess. I think you're in a bit of a similar situation. I am, and I, I didn't think about staying and fighting until I spoke to you. And I've not, I haven't stopped thinking about that. And I think you're right. Um, I, I, I was just in Austin looking at property. And, boy, does that... Oh, no, man. I know. We probably, I told you, we're probably looking at the oh, same houses. I'm on Truly. You're like, the man, what money, I can get in Austin. Oh, the amount of this. money I can save. Yeah. It's, it's cheaper to live. It's the, you know, I don't pay no that 13% tax. tax or whatever it is, or 18%. Um, so, yeah, I could save a lot of money. And um, what's happening in California, it seems, is businesses are leaving for just that reason, because it's very expensive to do business here. What California has going for it is a very diversified economy and amazing weather. Um, And it's just a huge, important state for a lot of reasons. But California was the state that worked. And we have a Democratic supermajority. And uh, if you look at local pol- politics, it's, it's just anytime you have a supermajority of any group, I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat, I don't think that's good for democracy. Um, your vote, if you are someone who leans even a little bit right, doesn't count. Yep. Save it. Stay home. We don't care. And you aren't getting elected to local office. 
you're not getting elected to to government office. You're not unless you are pro big union across the board. Good luck. Good luck otherwise. And I'm a member of a union. I'm in SAG. So I, I, I understand the value of unions, but it's expensive to do business. And unless you can push back a little bit or come up with a compromise, I don't, I don't, I'm not bullish on California. And that ain't me. I've talked to some no, very smart people who are economic animals and all of them agree. And all of them are looking to get out because it's too expensive. Why? What I live in uh, on Skid Row, basically. I'm in Venice. I've been mm -hmm. in Venice for 25 mm -hmm. years. I love it, but I don't recognize my town anymore as much. And you know, it, it, it's gotten really bad over there, right? It's right. not just gotten very bad; it's become profitable mm -hmm. because developers now can get these government contracts. I mean, I can build you, I can build you a bunch of apartments for two hundred million dollars on prime real estate on a parking lot. In, on the beach, if you'd like, I'd be happy to do that. And we can just have, we can create a homeless uh, uh, apartments pe for, for people who are homeless. And uh, don't worry about doing drugs or anything else. We're not gonna put any of those restrictions on you. You can come and go as you like. You know, so, so th there is something that, seen, uh, this is not me, but a scholar I had a long conversation with called the, the homeless industrial complex. Mm -hmm. Once there's money in bidding and getting uh, homeless shelters for big developers. You better be careful. So these people need to be put in treatment. The majority of the people on the street is not a housing problem. Mm -hmm. It's not a housing problem. It's not a housing problem. It is a mental health and addiction problem. And until we get serious about that, uh, we're, we're, we're gonna be in big trouble. Is it weird to you watching it spread in different areas? So Venice always had a certain amount of that. Now it's definitely more. But like Hollywood, which also always had a certain amount, it's like kind of taken over Hollywood. If you just go to straight up, especially now where there aren't as many other people on the streets. Yeah. Now it just seems like all there are kind of like transient people and homeless and tents and... Well, you, you, know, you and as that inches closer to West Hollywood, now it it'll inch closer to Beverly Hills, and that that then is oh when, my God. that then is when yeah. it gets pushed. Yeah, the other well, way, right? you know, they have their own police force, but yeah. Prop Forty Seven, and you can't. It's not criminalized. They're all kind of, these. I voted for Prop Forty Seven because the way it was phrased, and it had the it had the again on the ballot. I'm, as I'm voting, I went, well, this makes sense. I don't want kids to be in a revolving door of crime. And, and police chiefs back it. And Callan, so, did you read the whole thing? I didn't. That's it. I didn't have time. <laughs> I, I, that's I, I'm how, remiss. But that's how they get you in this state, I think more than any other. During the last election, there was this one thing on the ballot about, um, you know, do you want to, it was something like this. Do you want to put $500 million uh, into education for, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then there's essay, just a giant crazy essay on the whole thing, and I skipped all the way to the bottom, and on the bottom it says this can only be repealed or reversed by popular vote. But nobody ever says, okay, now we'll take the money from the kids. Yeah. But that's government 101. That's right. We, you sell it, exactly, the packaging thing you're talking It'll about. It'll never go away. Nobody reads the fine print, and then you throw it back on the people to be like, oh, you'll have to take care of this. <laughs> Deal with this. It does feel like we're sort of getting, if this is a video game, we're getting to the big boss. We're getting to the final boss where for, for eight levels, they've just ramped up the racism, racism, homophobia, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And now we're there. Like this election is it. And, and it almost seems to me that all they've got to run on is that America is racist. And if they don't have that, it's like, 
I don't think anyone buys any of the policies. And, and unfortunately, just the way the media operates right now, this isn't gonna be an election about policy. This is an election about basically racism and socialism versus capitalism and, and freedom, something like that. Yeah, you know, it is. And, and Dave, the thing that always strikes me, because I, I watch some of the left-leaning stuff, and, and God, I see this, you know, never-ending clown car of, of the Black liberals that come up and they, and they talk about stuff. So case in point, um, so the McCloskey situation where, where this couple was defending themselves from, from an angry mob who had, by the way, broken into private property. And on yep. the left with, with the Black pundits, this somehow becomes about race. And this somehow becomes the idea of these people um, inflicting their white supremacy on these Black protesters. Um, number one, those, those protesters were not peaceful. Number two, they were not all Black. And number three, yeah. the last time I checked, the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms is for everybody. It's not just for, for white people. So it, I'm struck when I see these conversations how, how quickly and how easily they remove all agency from black people in America and from African Americans in general. They, all of our agency is removed in these conversations. Yeah, it, well, it's also incredible because they try to paint the McCloskeys as evil for defending their property as, we, as we're watching all this stuff burn down. But it's not like the McCloskeys woke up that morning and were like, we're going to go shoot people. They, they had those guns for a long time. It sounds like they were actually Democratic donors, at least at one point, and supported Black Lives Matter. It's not like they were just sitting there waiting to start some stuff. It literally showed up at their door and then they, they defended themselves. But that's actually a good transition to, to media because you're, uh, you're a, a media, what can I call you, assassin, I suppose, as well. You, you've just had it. With the, with the mainstream media too, because this is yeah. the stuff they're endlessly peddling, right? Well, I, it is, and, and a lot of people don't realize, Dave, that, um, so I went to, to Columbia Journalism School. I got my master's degree from Columbia. I worked in, in media and production for years before I decided to come out and, and, and say what I really thought and do all this for myself. So I know all the games, dude. I know about crafting a tweet and leaving half of the code off. Um, I, I know what fake news is because sometimes fake news are actually most of the time, fake news isn't an outright lie, but more a half truth. And, mm -hmm. and so you see past all these games. When I first came out as conservative, I, one of the first friends that I lost um, got deeply offended when I told him, and, and not in a condescending way at all, told him that I've been working in this at that point for about five to six years, and I know these games. And you're not media literate enough to see this. And, and he got deeply offended by it. And then that was it. And it's just like, it's whatever. Um, but people didn't realize these games. And I think the deeper we get into this, we see it over and over and over again. And, and folks like, like you and I, when there is an outright lie, and I mean a whopper, it has to be shut down so quick because if you don't, then it becomes part of the lexicon and it becomes common knowledge, case in point, um, Trump's very fine people comment, which has been debunked so many times, but it is canon among the left. And that's because, and that was a failing on the right because they didn't shut that down immediately, immediately mm. when they should have. Fortunately, we had suits because we were supposed to go that night to an event that Ben Shapiro was right. headlining and we were supposed right. to be in suits Sorry, for that ben. thing. Sorry, Ben, we, uh, we left you to go see the president. We go to Mar-a-Lago, there's like, like an absolute 
insane security situation and they have to like drive us around a small we island. Drive miles around the city. Yeah, it was yeah. like crazy to get in there. We get in there. We're like basically almost strip searched before we're thrown on the back of a golf cart. Yeah, like they really, well, it's the president, right. you know? And then as you've described it, it's sort of like the Playboy Mansion, but like doused in gold right. and hairspray. It's right, sort of although very... it didn't feel cheesy at all. It actually, No, it me, felt kind of classy it, yeah. or old school or something. And we go in, and there's a main dining room, and I'd say there were probably about 50 people in the main dining room, and Candace Owens was there, right. and a couple other people that we sort of knew, and we were sort of whisked into the side room, which is, I guess, the more exclusive room where there's maybe 20 people, right. and our table's right in the middle. Just... There's an, like an extra layer of secret services to get into that room. Right, and it may, they make sure no phones, no pictures, right. blah, blah, blah. Uh, our table's like literally in the center of the room, so the four of us have a nice dinner, and sitting next to us, you know, one table over, is President Trump and Melania and Rudy Giuliani, yep. and they have two other, two or three other people there. And we have a great dinner, we had a great time, right? Like, totally fun, and Don doesn't drink. But, right. uh, and when some one funny thing was happening, that somehow the way we were sitting, I kept drinking your, you, yeah, your drinking wine. wine. So basically I had like seven yeah, glasses so of wine. I was like, and you oddly like, sober by the end. Yeah, and, and I was, yeah. I couldn't yeah. figure out why until I realized what was happening. It's because you're a lefty, which. Oh, that's what it was. If you see what it, I did here, actually today, because uh -huh. this isn't a real shoot, yeah. I let you have your water on your left side. Normally, I make the water on that side, and then See, the people say I lost is over there. They say I lost all my lefty cred. Look at that. Um, <laughs> anyway, then at the end of the meal, Junior says, "Hey, actually, going to take some of your water." Go right crazy. Uh, Junior says, "Hey, do you want to meet my dad?" I was like, "All right, yeah, let's meet your dad." So we go up to him, and and remember, this is like two or three days after impeachment had just been announced, which feels like another lifetime ago at this point. Mm -hmm. And everyone, every story was about Trump is freaking out, freaking the walls out. are closing in, <laughs> he's a paranoid lunatic. The guy's sitting there, he had no tie on, he looked totally relaxed, his hair was a little more disheveled than usual. He was having a ball, were, he was laughing. If you were living on the moon, yeah. and you didn't know who Donald Trump was, and you didn't know who the President of the United States was, and all of a sudden you found yourself in this room, and they said to you, the President of the United States is in this room, who do you think it is? I guarantee you, you would never think it was him. Right. This guy was sitting there pretty quiet yeah. for the most of dinner, just listening to yeah, other was... people, listening to his wife speak, mostly actually. And was I was expecting this like loud, bombastic, blowhard sort of, like not nothing even against him. It's just I think everyone can agree. Like he's you would think he's the it would be the center of attention, sucking a lot of the energy out of the room. The exact opposite. Yeah, it was, it was the reverse. Yeah. So so we walk up to him. And he's sitting, and Don Jr. introduces me, and he says, uh, Dad, this is Dave Rubin. He has a great podcast, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Trump looks up, looks up and he's like, you, I kind of recognize you. And I was like, oh, well, uh, you know, I go on Fox. I'm on Tucker. He's like, oh, Tucker, that must be yeah. And then he turns to you, and he goes, and who are you? He goes, and you, who are you? And you I'm just standing there. Yeah. Like, I don't you know. Like, who are you? And you go, well, I'm his husband. And he goes, husband? Husband? You two are married? You two are married? And then he slaps his hands on the table. Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, I want to stand up. I want to stand up and shake your hands. I think that's great. I he, think that's he just turns great. turns to Melania, he's like, he's like, honey, these two guys are married. And he turns to me, he's like, you're too, you guys are too good looking. That's your problem. You're too good looking. And he's like, but I got to shake your hand. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And then he says, he goes, you know, I don't give a shit. He goes, and, and I don't think anybody else does either. And then in a very Trump way. And also... I don't think anybody has for 20 years. No one's given a shit for 20 years. Yeah. And I realized at that point, I was like, oh, he thinks that I think he's probably a homophobe because I'm gay and that's right. what I've been told by the media. But I'm in that moment, like, I, I mean, I knew already he wasn't a homophobe, so I'm not thinking that, but I realized how much does that suck for him to have to preface that after he meets a gay couple to say, you know, like, you know, I don't care, right? Like, like we're cool. Right. So you left Los Angeles 
I said goodbye to you and you said, I'm going to Portland. And I said, why are you going to Portland? And I think you said, I need to see it for myself. So you went up to Portland. Yes. What do you see up in Portland? I slightly shot my bolt on this because I read a piece for one of the yeah. papers saying California is, a, California is a failed state. And then I went to Oregon. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Portland is, uh, some people say to me, you know, why do you need to go and see this stuff for yourself? And, and I just think it's, it's an instinctive curiosity I have. And I also, even when it is exactly what you think it is going to be, it's still interesting. You know, uh, um, Portland, Oregon was exactly what I feared it would be, but a bit worse. Um, I was horrified by the immiseration of the city the total destruction of all public monuments and public buildings, the shuttering up of shops, the intimidation of the citizenry, the demoralization of the citizenry, a, a homelessness problem which makes even California's look minimal, mm. um, and uh, the fact that the city's basically been given over uh, to uh, an immiserated lawlessness. I went with Antifa several nights in a row uh, to, pardon the language, a fuck gentrification protest, which was my first. And, yeah, that was your first um, one? Yeah, it was, <laughs> yes. I've hitherto always avoided the temptation. I, I, I quite like gentrification, actually. I, I, think so, I think that houses being made nicer and neighborhoods being smarter is no bad thing, but old-fashioned yeah. view. Uh, certainly not the view of Antifa in Portland, who sectioned off some of the streets and went through them in the middle of the night, screaming at the citizens and the house owners, telling them they were all st uh, on stolen land. This included many black families, by the way, uh, shouting at these black families, white families, families of every background, shouting at them they were on stolen land and um, and should get out. Were you worried? Were you worried for your own safety? I mean, you were you were out there with them. I mean, people know who you are. Yes, I was um, uh, lucky enough that in the era of mask wearing, you can cover almost your entire face uh, lawfully, indeed, uh, almost compulsively. Yeah. And um, uh, I was, uh, I mean, I've been in worse places and war zones where uh, there's more lawlessness than that. But I, 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 it was not in a pleasant situation to be in, in a, what is nominally a first world city. Um, uh, the second night, I went with them to the protest at the ICE facility, where um, which was a bit hairier because they were assaulting the facility. It's one of the very few um, federal buildings in the in the area. Uh, they play a game of cat and mouse with law enforcement. They get closer and closer to the front of the building. Their aim in the past has been to barricade in the buildings, put burning dumpster trucks in front of them, and then kill the people inside by burning them alive. So that's their modus operandi. So you can understand why the ICE officers don't want that. And they get within a certain uh, closeness to the door and then the uh, officers break out and uh, there was uh, firing, tear gas, uh, pepper bullets and all that. And people were setting fire to things in the street. And uh, and that was, that was uh, unpleasant, yes. Uh, I got... Um, uh, uh, you know, shoot out of, a, of a, an alleyway by federal officers with a bunch of other Antifa with me. And um, the officers at gunpoint, you know, told us, please, to move out of the alleyway. And uh, it was unpleasant. But I have to say that considering the situation, I thought the officers were as 
as decent and reasonable and uh, um, efficient in their duties as they could possibly be. I have to read you. There is a song that is. I'll just oh, pull I up the lyrics. Bust right. out your glasses like a I wish. Excuse now. me, sir. Yeah, yeah. Now that we're going blue. So there's a new song that's taken over the world. And when I say taken over the world, I mean like this is the story. Okay, this, this, is, this, like, this, this is like the story. Yeah. Right. So I don't even know. You know, I don't go blue on my show. Yeah. I don't no, no, do you're it. A respectable I'm very guy. clean, clean cut. I don't wear socks in my loafers. You know, I try to be. Very, I can't say the name of this, of this song without going blue. Would it be better? And it, you're hosting right now, so I want you to do what you think is right. Would it be better if if I just read it straight up? I, I would feel much better if you. So the song is called WAP. Okay. WAP. Okay. WAP, it's, by, it's by Cardi. Yeah. W A P. Okay. It's by Cardi B. And this song, I mean, this is like at the, now the, the anthem, the feminist anthem. Right. And Cardi anthem. B, I'm not totally her, sure who she is, but I know she was like fighting with people right before I went. Yes. Or she, she supported Bernie Sanders. And oh, she's right, been pretty right. She's got long nails, I think. She, and I think that's racist for you to say that, but yeah. yes, she does have long yeah. nails. So here's So the, this is, uh, this song's just taken over. Everyone's. This is everyone's taken over. So I'll just, I guess I'll just read a little. Yeah. Whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. Hole up. I said certified freak seven days a week. Wet ass pussy make that pull out game weak. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Woo-ah. And then the chorus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you fucking with some sweet ass pussy. Bring a bucket and mop for this pussy. Mop for this? Oh. Bring a bucket and mop, like mop for it. this wet yeah. pussy. You got to yes. mop up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, give me everything you got for this wet ass pussy. Uh, I'm going to not do the next paragraph because that's where they'll come for me. Yeah, this is the... <laughs> so So where does she get her mop? That's yeah, you can't... That's got some words that you're yeah. not allowed, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that song... I mean, she's making a point. It's not... She's it's, making... It's not without merit. No, it's not. It actually... I, the, the song actually does have a point. The thesis of the song... Is that all women are prostitutes? That's actually the thesis. She says, "Yeah, I got my man by," and she describes sexual acts that I know. Look, we're young hip millennials. Okay, we've yeah. done also like that you've never thought of. I mean, in this kind of, it's. I didn't know that pornography. It's having a slot bucket when you're. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's your, like great. Just that image, and yeah. it only. I didn't know that that audio could be pornographic. I thought pornography yeah. is only visual. Yeah. So she's saying that these things are good. Like this is how you attain power in essence. It's not. Yes. It's right. not. She's not. Which is so the. Re it. It, it, it's so the reverse, actually, of what, what at least first wave feminism was all yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a. It, it's funny because it's such a ridiculous song, but it is a commentary oh, on our WAP. WAP. I see, and it, then it hits you. Like it took me like a day to. I thought, oh, as I'm pondering this deep song of great singing. Yeah. And, but that's it. That, and the, so to say that calling women prostitutes and having them sell themselves is empowering is, is obviously a complete reversal of reality. Like you say, reality is yeah. on trial. It's emblematic to me of everything that's going on. You really do do it through comedy. Like if you want to tell people the yeah. truth and not get punched in the face, you got to do it through comedy, right? That's, uh, that's just kind of the way I you got to do so. it. And that, you really have mastered that. But I'm, I'm curious, did you... Were you kind of right before then? Because I want to get no. to when you kind of came out for Trump, but were you always- We, we both had our- Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Had, we had kind of we similar events, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, what were you before? Did you, did you consider yourself liberal, conservative, blah, blah, blah?
so liberal. This is my liberal sweater, by the way, or at least liberal media. Yeah. Okay. This is like freaking CNN reporters all over it. Um, <laughs> yeah, 100% liberal, for sure, for sure. And then I actually had a good friend in LA. I was staying at her house and we were watching CNN or something before the last election. And she's like, you know, me and my whole family vote for Trump. And I, I thought she's a crazy person. And I literally thought I probably can't be friends with this person anymore. That means she's evil. She's a bad human. Like, I was like, are you guys like racist? Knowing her boyfriend is a black man, I thought it was weird. And eventually I realized, oh no, her family just owns a bunch of businesses and employs a lot of people. Oh, okay, that makes sense for them why they would support him. And then I started to see the unraveling of all the things I've been taught. You go to enough parties in Hollywood, you learn they're all douchebags. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it is what it is. 98%, you know, the ones yeah. who live in Texas, most of the time, they're pretty dope. Um, yeah, but I, I started seeing that every single thing that these people pretend they are, they're actually the polar opposite. And I went, well, what's the opposite of asshole? I kind of want to go that way. And I saw, I caught, you know, even Jimmy Kimmel, I caught him multiple times lying in stories. Lying. Yeah. Total lie. And I actually was responsible for outing him twice. He probably hates me in the last year because I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. I'd go to C-SPAN and watch the full uncut footage. And then I'd do a quick video on it and be like, Jimmy Kimmel, did you just lie to your entire audience? Let's see. And he did. And then he issued an apology a couple days later on Twitter. Um, he was lying about Mike Pence in one of them. But the more I saw this, the more I was like, motherfuckers tricked me. You tricked me. Doesn't then, it, do, doesn't it seem crazy to you that you have to like fact check comedians as a comedian? Like if you would have said that to any, <sighs> any like eight year old who wants to be a comedian and your job will be to fact check comedians through comedy, you'd be like, right? what the F are you talking about? Right? You can swear with me. It's okay. I, was, I saw you tell Ben Shapiro to swear. I've told him to swear multiple times too. I was, I was yeah. being hosty there, but I would like Ben you're, to say fuck so more. Yes, hosty. I would. Yeah, same. Just like, just once, and then yeah. we can put it on a loop and turn it to songs. Exactly. Yeah. Often think now, now that I've been taking some of these positions that aren't thought of as popular or, or okayed by mainstream or whatever, that the only thing to fear is fear itself. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately, that the more that I say the things that I believe to be true that happen to be against the mainstream things, the more I get over that. Because if you can get over the fear, then if it's true that we're on a list and they're coming for us. Then we're and on a list. Th then we're on a list. And by the way, pretty much everyone's on the list. And, mm -hmm. and that's why there's that famous thing, you know, they came for the Jews first. It's like, mm -hmm. we're, all, we're all part of this thing. But it, it's a very strange time that you can show me some of these things, founding documents from the United States, documents about saving Jews during World War II, and it feels like something that's kinda now. Only if people don't find their courage. Yeah. I truly believe, uh, and this is why I think you're so powerful, courage is contagious. It is. People, not everybody's a leader. Not everybody's willing to step out into danger. You know, uh, not everybody's willing to lose all their friends or to whatever. But when they see someone risk everything and they see them on a list, if you can get them early enough, they'll step out. Mm -hmm. But the longer you wait, the worse it gets. That's Bonhoeffer was a, a pacifist. 
was involved mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. von Stauffenberg's uh, coup. How? He's a pacifist. He, he said there's nothing else we can do at this point because it's too late. Mm -hmm. The people's hearts had turned to stone and you couldn't turn them. We have to find a way to make sure that our hearts and the hearts of everybody we know stay soft and see people as people, not enemies. You know, when I was on tour with Jordan, one of the things that he would bring up often, because he would talk about the parallels to Nazism, to some of the authoritarian movements of the day, mm -hmm. and he would say to everyone in the crowd, he'd say, you know, there's 3,000 of you sitting out here right now, and I guarantee you that every single one of you would think that you wouldn't be a Nazi if this was 1936 Germany, and that proves probably that you would be. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that that was pretty powerful. So we all think we would do the unpopular thing. We all think we would do the, the risky thing. We all judge everybody by our standards of today. I'm not sure I'd stand in the end. I mean, a friend of mine, Marcus Luttrell, I said to him, how do you stand torture and not break? And he said, Glenn, everyone breaks. Everyone breaks. Mm -hmm. He said, but the ones who break the fastest and the loudest are the ones who will say, I'm never, I'll stand. Oh, I'll stand. Because they haven't thought about it. It's why I wanted to bring my kids to Auschwitz. I need mm -hmm. you to feel it so you can think about it and really look at this as a possibility. And once you do that and you realize, by the grace of God, I'll stand, um, then, you're, then you're ready. But we, we have got to prepare ourselves now to be ready, because if you're ready now, the problems go away.